This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Bing bong. It's your boy, Mr. Adam X. You listen to the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Collective. Man, that's a mouthful. It's snowing. Uh, first snow here on the East Coast. And I'm not going to promise you, but this may be my last bike episode for a little bit. But I'm still loving the bike. So I... I know what you guys want to do. Like, you want me to just start talking about skiing, even though we're not skiing yet? We're still riding bikes. So let's talk about bikes. Before we talk about bikes, let's talk about my amazing sponsors this week. My first sponsor, Darn Tough, Darn Tough Stocks. Still made in Vermont. Made in the USA. They're the best socks on the planet. Lifetime warranty. Uh, I mean, they're literally guaranteed for life. So I know you're thinking about it. You're thinking about that cold weather. Go to darntough.com. Peruse the site. Look at what they have. They have a sock finder. They break it down. Hiking, running, athletics, ski, snowboard, hunting, work, tactical socks, boot socks, crew socks, quarter socks, no shows, lightweight, ultra lightweight, midweight, heavyweight, holiday pattern, solid stripes, animals, nature, abstract. They've got it all uh, from synthetic to, you know, they've got it. Darntough.com. Get yourself some socks. Socks that are still made in Vermont. And my second sponsor this week, I'm loving it. Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada Hops Water. It's becoming available in stores. So go find yourself some. Order it online. I'm telling you, it, it it's so good sierra nevada hops water go to sierranevada.com check out everything they have to offer from their hard kombuchas to their beers to the stories uh they have a full shop on there they have a list of their events it's it's honestly more than just a beer brand uh these guys have been supporters of our show for a long time guys and gals and you know they support the outdoors they support what we're doing they believe in what we're we believe in and you know not only do they make fantastic amazing products but they also give a shit uh so go to sierranevada.com check it out see how you know they make their beer sustainably and how their breweries care it's really simple uh caring about things that we care about uh from their parallel to their torpedo to their dankful tropical torpedo ipa um Man, I can't talk enough about that hop splash. So just go check them out, SierraNevada.com. And I'm going to get through all my sponsors this week so you guys can just sit back, relax, and listen to the episode. Mammut. Go to Mammut.com. They have equipment. They have backpacks. They have gear. They have pants. They have boots. Really your one-stop shop for all of the gear you could possibly need memoot.com i think we have a code and it's actually a really good code uh give me one second let me just scroll here use code out of bounds 25 that's capital o capital o capital b the number two five out of bounds 25 that's 25 percent off memoot.com so if you need a beacon a probe a shovel uh, an avi bag 25% off guys jackets vests layers they've got it all it's so good i mean the equipment is so 
dang good. Go to memoot.com. Check them out. Use code out of bounds. Capital O, capital O, capital B, 25. Whoo, we got through it. Four minutes. Got you an intro on an ad read there, friends. My guest this week, Red Bull athlete, Trek athlete, RockShox athlete, downhill mountain bike prodigy, signed to her first major contract at the age of 12, maybe 13. Uh pro won her first pro or i should say junior world cup downhill title at age 16 valley hole valentina hole god if you guys don't know who she is look her up absolute prodigy of an athlete uh we talk about losing and how hard it was for her to lose publicly because she'd never lost i believe in her amateur career she went two years without losing and the closest second place was 18 second margins. Uh, such a fun, like fantastic conversation. And it's just so interesting how people's brains like Valentin, Valentina's work. Uh, they're winners. They win. They train hard and they win and they're damn good at it. So hope you enjoy this episode. I know it's bike. I know we're thinking about skiing, but like this is a cannot miss episode. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And as always, please like, share, subscribe, follow Valley Hall, uh, follow Mr. Adam Max, do the damn thing. We love you all. Here's the episode. Alrighty. So um, I'm Valley Hall. I'm 20 years old from Saarburg, Austria, and I'm riding bikes for a living now. So uh, I'm racing World Cups. I won World Champs this year. And... Life is pretty good. <laughs> You've been riding bikes your entire life. Like from what I seen, you entered your first race at three years old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't win. No, I got dead last. Like, I don't know. I always grew up with bikes. It was pretty common in my area. Like my parents were always riding bikes and as a kid, I was always super lazy, so I always needed something to ride on, so I didn't have to walk. That was my main mission. And yeah, somehow I ended up racing my first race with three years old. I got dead last because every time someone wanted to take a picture, I stopped and posed for them, and then I kept going. So that was my first race, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like media training at three years old. <laughs> yeah but there was no pressure behind it no pressure from my parents or anything so and then yeah, funny at 12 or 13 you signed a six-year contract exactly yeah it's it's funny to to look back now because it all sounds so weird because when i look at some 12 13 years yeah or it's now it's like oh they're babies you know but uh for me at that time it I felt so mature and like in the scene that it was kind of normal. And uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I'm 20 now and yeah, I got my first contract like seven years ago. It's insane. Yeah. Do you think, so looking like knowing what you know now as a 20 year old, so you're still a baby. <laughs> do you think that sponsors should be going after and that sounds harsh but like do you think brands should be signing kids that young 
Mm, I think it's a tough one because it always really depends on how the parents are. Like in our scene, I see a lot of parents who push their kids too much. You know, the kids are like five or six year old and the parents, they already make an Instagram account and they try to like get sponsors for the kids, but they can't even like talk yet. So uh, it's it's so weird. And I really don't like that because uh, when I grew up and I did my races, like my parents, they supported me hundred percent. Like they drove me to the races and like helped me out when I needed it, but they never like talk to sponsors for me like they said if you want something you have to do it yourself so I was like 11 12 going to sponsors and asking yeah you think I could get a free helmet they were like because I'm racing this one and I won the last few races and so I had to do this all by myself and I think it's so important that you know as a, even if you're just young as a kid if you want something you have to do it by yourself and yeah the way it goes with social media now it's it's kind of sad that parents push their kids so hard on the media side i don't know if i like that or not because i had to turn 13 to be allowed to actually have a facebook account so that was like the biggest i got it as a gift for my birthday so my parents wrote a card that oh you're allowed to make yourself a facebook account i was like yes finally um yeah well it's different now i guess i guess in those seven years a lot of things have changed in that regard yeah yeah drastically and i don't i don't know how i feel about it i feel like a, i'm 36 so i'm almost double your age and i feel like a dinosaur on the internet like i am like <laughs> i have no idea what i'm doing and like and i thought i was like it'll happen you'll remember this conversation in like 15 years yeah. that you're just like oh i have no idea anymore like now there's being yeah. real but on, on the like, other hand like to be honest the the level the kids have nowadays with like 10, you kind of, as a brand, you spot like some really good riders and you have to, you know, get them as soon as possible because if you wait two more months, they already have other brands signing them. So it's kind of hard, but uh, I think it's in every sport, like the kids get younger and younger and they become pro even earlier. Like, I don't know if you watch the skateboarding Olympic games when those like, I don't know, like there were 12, 13 winning gold medals at the Olympic Games. It's insane, but that's how it is nowadays. So, Do you think, and I'm asking you because you're an expert in this category, like you were, you were still racing juniors, but you had a big, you had a contract and it was like a, do you think it's too much pressure? Or let me ask you this. Do you think there should be an age, like you can't compete in pro until you're 18? I think it should be like 16 because with, with 18, like when I raced juniors, I, with my time, I would have won two elite world cups already racing in juniors. So it's sick to get the attention. And I think with 16, you're old enough to train properly. Like you can go to the gym, you you're allowed to do stuff that elite riders are allowed to do and you can compete, I would guess. But, um, with like 12, 13, it's insane. Like I, even I struggle sometimes with all the media attention, like all the attention you get, the people you, you're talking to at the events and stuff. It's so hard to like process it all. And you're so tired, but when you're 12, I don't know if even like, you know, your little brain is, is not uh, ready yet for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's terrifying because like, it sounds like your family is tight knit and, 
has some wherewithal and like, so it worked for you. But other families, you can't always guarantee that. And like somebody meets the wrong person and they might just guide them in the wrong direction. And they're so young. It's, I mean, there is no answer, I don't think, but it is, it's an interesting dynamic. And like reading your story and like signing a, a six year contract's a long time for you and the brands. Yeah, it, it, but to be fair, like the contract was really loose. Like it was sick because when we got there to uh, YT, when they, you know, we went into into a meeting room. I've never been in a meeting room before. It was so professional, and then they like put down the paper, and I didn't know they wanted to do a contract. Neither did my parents. We just thought we we're gonna visit the headquarters and look at the new bikes and have a good time. And then uh, they said, "Yeah, we propose your contract," and. It's gonna be super loose. Like it was it was written in the contract that if there's a birthday party and we ask you to do a photo shoot, you have to go to the birthday party because it's more important to hang out with your friends and like, you know, work for us. So that was pretty cool. Like it was not like pushy or anything. And they said, you know, if you if you don't wanna ride bikes in two years, well, no problem. We're still gonna give you bikes if you want and just enjoy it. So there was like no pressure at all. And uh, I guess nobody really expected it that I would, you know, lay down a career like I did now because there was, I don't know, all the transitioning from like, you know, being a rookie, becoming the juniors, racing elite World Cups, it was so smooth. And it was never that I said, oh, I want to be world champion. You know, it just happened naturally. And it's it's so cool. Like I don't know. I had a lot of time to reflect on it the last four weeks, and yeah, it's sick. I love it. Yeah. Before we started recording, you said you're home. You've been home for four weeks, which is probably the longest time you've been home consistently in six years. Oh yeah. Well, it was pretty pretty wild this this season. Like a lot of traveling, a lot of racing, and uh, to be honest, I also really enjoyed it to be away from home. Because when I was in school, I was stuck at home over the winter. It was super hard. And then I finished school two years ago. So that was the time I was free and I could do whatever I wanted to. I could, you know, go to France for the whole winter and go ride my bike and just live a sick life. So, um, yeah, it's been four weeks now and now it's enough. I need to leave my parents alone again and and enjoy my life. Yeah, it's, I mean, you've done so much in such a small period of time and you make it sound like it's so easy and maybe it just was, but like, how did you get this good on a mountain bike? Well, honestly, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> to be honest, like it wasn't that easy when I was junior because for me and for my parents, it was super important that I finished school because a lot of young racers that decide to, you know, um, you know, finish school early and they don't really have a degree at the end and but for me it was so important to like do the normal stuff that my friends were doing at home and to think about the future because you're not always going to race bikes and you know if you have a bad crash early in your career you know it can be possible that you're not racing anymore so you always have a backup plan so that was actually quite tough because I was racing a World Cup and then came home Sunday night sometimes and had to go to school Monday where like other races, they did recovery. They flew home on Monday, took it easy. They started training again. And I just did 
two lives at the same time. So I think that really helped me to to become a normal person, I guess. And also appreciate the time when you're away and you can go ride your bike because then I really used the time properly to to train and it was more about quality than like quantity on the bike. So I guess that was a big help to you know use the time wisely. Did your school know like who you were? Like were they aware of your <laughs> I don't know how to ask. Do you get what I'm asking? Mm, I know. I like know you're you going mean. away um, and you're a superstar and you're younger. So like your, your clout isn't as big as, as it is now, but like you're on the up and up, like you're, you're smashing your competition on the weekends and then showing up for physics, physics class on Monday oh, and being yeah. like, I broke these laws yesterday. Oh man, I hated physics. I was so bad. <laughs> no, it was it was actually kind of hard because um, my school is a ski school, so skiing in Austria is like massive. It's all about alpine ski racing, and it was really hard to tell them that you know mountain bike racing it's also a sport, like it exists, and it's you know I'm racing. It felt like that the people who are racing ski races in like you know Austrian race like not even nationals, like the level under nationals, they were as, they were treated like superstars and I was already winning World Cups and they didn't even notice. It was super hard to like say, hey, my sport is as important and as cool as alpine skiing. And I think it took them a few years to understand. And I think they only understood when like slowly, like the local newspapers wrote about me and be like, hey, she actually won a World Cup last weekend and now she's in my class and writing like an English exam. Like it was so hard to tell them that, you know, it's a proper sport because summer sports is not as important as ski racing, I would say, in Austria. It might have actually helped though. Like it, it had to have kept you humble. Well, but it would have been nice if they would have been a bit more <laughs> chill and like, oh, you're tired. It just came from the US, so maybe we take it easy today. But no, I think it's fine. Like, I guess it's good that they didn't treat me like a superstar. So you don't like, you know, you don't feel like you're important. So I guess it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it helps you. It helps the drive, I'm sure, and helps you prove something. But it probably would have been nice to have like a nice pat on the back once in a while. And oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't. One, I can't imagine being good at anything, but I also can't imagine being like really good <laughs> at something and then like coming back on the weekends or weekdays and like going to wherever, you know, school or work and people not getting it or not thinking it's enough. Like that has to be a just an interesting development as a as a child. Yeah, like you're a child. but I think because my self-confidence, even though I'm I'm a world champion now is so low. Like I wish it would be way higher, but like, I'm still like, oh, I don't know if I can ride my bike. I haven't been on my bike for four weeks. I think I suck on my bike, you know? That's what's going on in my head. And that's, I don't know what needs to happen, like how many more titles I need to get until I realize that I'm actually quite okay in riding bikes. It's so weird, but I don't have that where I feel like, oh, you know, I think I'm good in riding bikes. I don't have that. And I don't know if it comes with, with becoming older or like 
I don't know what needs to happen next. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't need to happen. Maybe that's like yeah. the secret to your sauce. Because like that's why champions lose. Because they know they're a champion and they have nothing to fight for. So like if you just yeah, have like this very humble, like clearly you're good on a bike. And like it's funny for you to say that. Like I don't know. But like I don't know. Maybe that's like the secret drive that you don't even know exists is just like never accepting that your level of skill is insane oh thanks (laughs) i don't know i don't it's you would think i mean 2018 you were undefeated right that was juniors didn't lose a race and i think the the gap average gap between you and second place was over 20 seconds yeah that is a lifetime in racing <laughs> yeah it, it's crazy because I, it was sick like i'm not gonna say it was it was a bad thing but uh, i think the problem was that they did normally people you know junior years people take it as like learning lessons and in those two years you can try and fail but it doesn't matter Where like i always won and did okay so i never had to learn so when I transitioned into elite, man, that's where I had to learn. And that's where I sucked. And I think the biggest mission was to accept and learn how to lose because I was really bad in losing. And I'm so sorry for that because I know that the first two times I was a really bad loser because I didn't know how to handle my emotions. And for me, it was so hard to like cross the finish line, except that I lost, but you know, the cameras on you, everybody's looking at you in that moment, you have to switch and be like, Oh, you know, it's great. And you have to say congrats to the winner and to the other riders. But for me, because I never had to do that, it was so hard to do it in the first few races. If that makes sense. I know it might sound a bit like arrogant, but the problem was that I never had to do it as a junior. But then I had to do it as an elite, but there were like 20 cameras looking at you and everybody saw it that, oh, she's struggling because she doesn't know what to do. And uh, yeah, it took me a while to to become a good loser, to be honest. I don't think that's arrogant. I think it's humanizing. And I think it's it's losing is hard. It's very hard. I see it in my nephews right now and my niece. They're all at that age where they're like learning to lose. And it sucks. Yeah. And oh, yeah learning at your little private hill or private, you know, if you're ski racing or mountain bike racing or playing soccer, you, you get in your mom's minivan and you cry and you go home and you get orange slices at the end of the game. And <laughs> like, that's a good place to learn to lose, yeah. but well, not, like, at a world cup. <laughs> not at a world cup where you have a Red Bull helmet on and a brand new bike sponsor. And there's yeah. 15 cameras and you're the future of downhill mountain biking. Like, that is a ton of pressure. And then to come up short, per se, I mean, I don't think you've come up short in anything in your career, but like that had to be like, th- yeah, that sucks. So hearing it, hearing you say it is just, it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I don't know. I think it's like a, most people don't ever think of what you go through when you lose. Yeah, and the thing is, I still feel sorry what I did like in my first elite season because I know I didn't do the right thing because I won race 
I finished and I just went straight out and I didn't even stop for the winner. And I still feel so bad for that because that's not what you do. You stop and you say congrats and then you can leave. But I was just so overwhelmed with my emotions that I just had to leave because I didn't want anyone to see me crying. You know, <laughs> like, Yeah, I was like scared that people see me being weak. And uh, it's, but I mean, you shouldn't care what people think about you. And that's also something I learned this year because, you know, I cared way too much about what people think about me. And that's why I probably, you know, struggled again beginning of this season, even though I won the overall last year. But I kind of thought way too much how to impress the other people and how to impress my sponsors than like what I actually want to do. And I found my groove, luckily, in the summer again because it wasn't fun anymore. So, uh, yeah. How do you manage that? Well, I guess the way it turned around this year was that I did quite okay at the, okay at the first race. I won qualifying, got fourth, but only by 1.5 seconds I was fourth. So that was like tight, unlucky fourth place, but it's all right. And then I started crashing and I crashed at the second World Cup. I crashed at my home World Cup in Leogan. I crashed in Lenzerheide in qualifying and race run. And I had no idea. Like I was so, so pissed. Because if you crash four times in a row, it makes you like, makes, yeah, it's, I'm, I was so pissed because I know I have the speed to actually do well because I always did well in all the qualifyings and I knew I could win races and I really wanted to win, but also I wanted to impress other people. And that was the thing. And I guess that also led me to hit the floor all the time. And then after Lenterhide, after my fourth crash in a row, I was so pissed and didn't really expect anything anymore in the season to happen. Like I just arrived at the next race. Not really that it was, how should I say, like, I was still like focused and I still had a goal, but I didn't expect anything anymore because you know it's gonna it will go wrong anyway. And then suddenly I won the race, which is like insane. And it's so funny that as soon as you have a different mindset, less pressure, you don't care about anything anymore. Or let's say I didn't care about what other people think anymore. It worked out. And uh yeah, it's sick if you can kind of an analyze what the problem was and but it's easy to say now because it's off season i don't need to race in the next <laughs> few more months so we can talk uh, next beginning of next season again <laughs> but i mean it i like talking about it because i think it's important but like crashes mess with your head like mentally because you start doubting yourself for probably one of the first times in your career and you're only 20, but you've had a seven-year career already, which is yeah. – that's that's nuts. So, like, for the first time in your career, you're truly questioning the one thing that has probably felt the most comfortable in your entire life. So, like, mentally, how do you deal with it? Like, how do you – are you just calling your friends back home from high school and being like, or it's literally just like no expectations. I'm riding a bike. Let's make this fun. And then if you're having fun, turns out you're riding really well and you're winning. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, especially like like home races, for example, like Leogang. 
where I had a really hard <laughs> history already. Like uh, 2020, my first elite season, I crashed out at home world champs. So I broke my ankle there. I won qualifying and the run before finals, I crashed and broke my ankle. Then the year after I won qualifying, crashed in the last corner and got second, only one second behind first. So I could have won the race easily, but I crashed because, you know, stupid junior mistake. I, I knew I was on a heater run and then wasn't focused enough, crashed in the last corner and threw my first elite win away. Um, then third try this season, Leo Gang. I was okay in qualies. I got second in qualies, but only 0 0.4 seconds behind first. So it was all right. I thought, oh, maybe it's actually quite okay if I don't start last. So it's going to be a good run. <laughs> and then I crashed two times in, in one race run, which never happened before. And when I crossed the line, I just like started crying. And the thing is, I never cried because of a race run, of a race result. And I think, I think that because my parents were there and my mom was there, it helped me to just like cry. It was so bad. Like I've never been so sad in my life. And I guess if my mom wouldn't have been there, I wouldn't have like cried so hard, but just to have your mom there and, you know, to have your safe space and, oh man, I never cried so hard in my life. It was insane. But it's also amazing that like, it really means that, you know, you really love racing and it's so important. It's such an important part of your life that you really care what you're doing. And it's definitely hard if you fucked up the last three times, but I'm only 20, so it's okay. If I look at the, at the World Cup winner this year, she's 32, so 12 years older than me. So I still have a few more tries, I guess. <laughs> I would think so. And I... Th Failing sucks and losing sucks and no one's going to pretend like that's fun, especially at your level. But like from a fan, from a spectator, it's nice to see people like yourself who are, and this maybe sounds horrible, but like, holy shit, she's human and she's pissed and she's sad and she's emotional. And, and those same emotions come out when you win. It's oh, like, yeah. so it's really as much as athletes and I'll generalize athletes at your level want to like be these stone faced killer all the time. It's like, oh, you're human and your mom's there and you like, yeah. you just, you just fucked up and it happens because we're like, you could do that race a thousand times and crush it. And so I don't know. I think it from a marketing standpoint, I think it tells a story, which like, that's always nice, <laughs> but like, yeah, good for them. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's, it's pretty funny because I had the conversation actually today that, you know, a lot of, like, if I look into alpine ski racing in Austria, like they all have that media training, you know, every time they do an interview, it's like so boring and you don't really remember those, those races. Like there's always like, no one really has a character, like, charisma and like there's no standout athlete anymore because they all say the same thing in the interview and you don't even listen to it anymore because it's boring anyway but maybe it also because i'm 20 and i don't really care about those people telling me what i have what i should say in front of the tv you know sometimes i swear in front of the tv but it's just me 
that's who I am. And I'm, I'm only 20. And I think it's just normal that, you know, we're still a bit more loose than like a 35 year old in front of a TV. And I think that's also what people like about me because I'm honest. And I tell them when, when I'm pissed and when I hate something, but I'm also like super honest when it comes to my emotions when I win a race, you know, it's, I just try to be myself and not fake anything because why should I? I mean, why? Yeah, you're you. You are your brand. So like you should be allowed to be you as long as like obviously within reason to an extent. Like we have to <laughs> filter a little bit, you know, like I do this every week and there's things that I'd probably say around a bonfire that I wouldn't say on air, but that's yeah. that's being human, but it's also I think people listen to this show because I say things and it might bother people, but it's like, yeah, I I'm saying this to create an emotion so that you can feel what I'm feeling or vice versa, you know, and it's, I don't know. I, and I think the athlete has changed with social media, you know, everything is in your face all the time and it's not just, so like, that's always tricky too. I'm like, people might meet you and think they know who you are, mm. but like they only really know what I show them, what yeah. you show them. Exactly. So it, it's, I mean, not that you're too much different, I'm assuming off the air, but like you're, that's you at work. hundred percent. Like you put that Red Bull hat on, like you are at work. I'm sure when you go to the supermarket, Maybe you don't put a Red Bull hat on. Maybe I'm wrong, but like <laughs> you want to hide. If I see someone in a Red Bull hat, I am judging them and I'm like, that person bought that at a flea market or <laughs> or they are a pro athlete. Like there's no, in no between. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Definitely. I'm like, I'm, it's actually funny because I struggled so hard to talk to people and I'm normally super introverted, but as soon as I'm talking about my biking and about my my profession. It sounds so weird to say it's my profession, but obviously it is, but I still don't really feel like it. So uh, yeah, it's sick. So when I talk about my profession, it's easy for me to open up and to talk to people. But when I have to go to the supermarket and ask someone for help because I can't find something, man, it takes me so long to like be able to do that because I'm so scared to talk to people. It's so weird, but... Uh, yeah, I guess talking about something you love and you know 100% inside out, it's it's way easier than normal life stuff, I would say, for me at least. No, I think that makes sense. Have you ever had any really awkward fan encounters? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm not going to say it. You don't have to say anything. That's... <laughs> A yes is an acceptable answer. And I ask people this question a lot, actually. So for anyone listening, if you meet a professional athlete, remember that they're human. That's all I'm going to say Thanks. is remember that they're human and remember that they don't know who you are. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, like you, you feel it when people look at you for a really long time and you're like, are they going to come up and talk to me or are they just going to stare at me and like follow me around? Like, oh man. So do you There's say hi? Do you go out of your way to, to say hi? Or we don't have to talk about this at all if you don't want to, but yeah. like. No, I'm not one of those persons who would come up to them because I'm so introverted. Like if I don't know them, I'm so sorry, but 
sometimes I am a dick because I'm really shy and I'm not saying hi to a lot of people. But, I just know, like, when they're smiling at me, I'm like, oh, hey, like, hi, super hi. quiet, but I would never come and say, hey, how are you doing, blah, blah, blah. It's just not who I am. No, I'm sorry. but <laughs> I don't think you have to apologize for being yourself, but it is... I can't pretend like I have your fan base, but like I will go to small places in s- very small areas where like a couple people know who I am or they listen to the show. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the closest I'll ever have to being like famous. And they'll be like, oh, you're Adam X. And I'm like, that is I. <laughs> like, but it's like, introduce yourself. Tell me who you are. Tell me you're a fan of the show. So then I can relate to who, like, it's a very and I'm again, I am nothing. Anybody listening, like I am not a superstar by any means. But I it's the first time I could relate to an actual superstar. Cause you're like, holy shit, that's Travis Pastrana. And he's like, Yep, that's yeah. that's me. Instead of being like, that's Hey, Travis, I'm Adam. Nice to meet you. Love what you do. Cool. Great interaction. Go your separate ways. Um, yeah. I just don't think people well, know to come it. to come back to the topic is actually pretty fun because my parents, they host a chalet. So like there are a lot of guests coming every day. Like there's a lot of interaction. And I remember that my parents, when I was younger, like they always told me, you have to say hi to everyone. Like you always have to greet them. And Matt, there was a, that was the worst thing I had to do as a kid. Like talk to strangers and say hi to them. Because I was like, if I don't know them, like why should I say hi all the time? I know they're coming to our house, to our chalet. They consume, they leave their money there. But man, why do I have to say hi to everyone? Like, dude. That was your media training. That was funny. Yeah. Oh, it was so bad. (laughs) So that's actually also like something that my parents are talking about now because, well, my dad is only 53, but I have a small brother. He's 10 years younger than me. So he's only 10 now. And, uh, you know, my parents are already asking, so who wants to take over the chalet? So, you know, we can retire. It's like, definitely not me i'm not a, one of those people who are good hosts like i don't look i don't like to talk to strangers so it can be my brother you just have to work you know 10 more years and if i would take it so then you fun. give it to the, to the sibling so but we kind of touched on it but when you're in athlete mode you flip a switch you have no i mean i asked you to be on this podcast you answered immediately no problem it just seems more comfortable yeah, because I know what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> I got a lot life. of I got a lot of trick questions here. No, I don't have anything. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> like, I have nothing. No, but I kind of like to do that kind of stuff because I know how important it is to like bring our sport out into the public. Because not many people know about downhill racing, but it's it's a really cool sport, and uh, yeah, I like to reach a different audience. So. Do you see yourself doing any other type of racing? Like right now you are downhill. That is your focus. That is what you do. Do you see yourself, if you get an invite to formation, I mean, that's definitely not a race, but like, do you take it? Do you take the invite? Oh, definitely. They actually asked me the first year they hosted it, but I was still in school. So I couldn't miss out in (laughs) September because it was in September and in Austria, school starts in September, and I would have missed two weeks, which would have been impossible. So, yeah, it's pretty bad, the timing they do right now, because it's always in May, so it's like only two weeks before the first World Cup, and 
I don't trust myself enough yet <laughs> to do this kind of events before World Cup season because I still want to do well and not be injured coming into the season. So maybe if I feel more confident, like in four years where it's still in May or before the season, I will I will definitely try and I really want to do it. Um, what I tried this year for the first time was an EWS, so Enduro Racing. I really enjoyed it. It was a long day on the hill, but uh, it's really satisfying. It's it's different, different racing because you approach, you can't go 100% like you would do in DH. Like in DH, you know every centimeter of the track. Where like in Enduro, you barely remember it. And like after the third stage, you just want to go home because you're so tired already. But you still have to finish like a 15-minute stage. So uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. And uh, I'm actually going to do some next season because our DH season only starts in June so they're going to be two in March so I will aim to train for them and you know I got 10th place in my first EWS which was pretty surprisingly sick so um, I think if, if I prepare better for it, it it can be it can be quite good so I'm looking forward to it yeah you've got the downhill part down now it's just getting up the hill. <laughs> exactly survive the day survive the transfers that's that's my goal and uh, obviously I, I love to race crankworks like i'm quite okay in, in duo slalom uh, i i got third in the pump track once and i really want to try to do more crankworks next season as well just because it's a fun event and it's so different to racing downhill world cups like it's still pretty intense and there's still so many good athletes but it's still different than like only doing downhill world cups yeah crankworks just seems like a blast like as an athlete, oh, yeah. it's exhausting. You have so many events in a day. I interviewed uh, Via, and she was just like, "You're just on your bike all day." Oh yeah, you ride you 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 ride three different bikes in one day. Yeah, and you're it, like heating from one practice to one qualifying to practice for another thing. It's intense. You're super tired after, but it's sick. How do your sponsors feel about you doing other things? Like, do they? Well, to be honest, yeah. To be honest, when I when I told them that I'm gonna race the EWS, they were like, "Oh, are you sure? Like, it's in the middle of the season. We, you can do the practice, but just don't race." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And I ended up racing it, <laughs> just because, like, if I already do the effort to drive there and do the practice, why not try and race it? And especially downhill, like you can always crash and hurt yourself. It doesn't matter if you're racing enduro or you're riding DH bikes at home and train for it or you do your intervals or you go road biking and get hit by a car. You know, I think our sport is <laughs> so dangerous that it doesn't really matter what we do off the racing. So, so they were a little hesitant. Yeah, I guess they were more scared how I would react if I'm not doing well or if I don't finish the race, you know. I guess just because it was like in a period of my season last year where I already, you know, was quite disappointed all the time anyway because my downhill racing was not going so good because I always crashed. But I guess that's also why I wanted to try the EWS and finish the race just to show myself that, that I can actually achieve something, you know. It's not that I suck at everything so uh that was that was cool it was a big help also just no expectations like you're not you no exactly. one expects you to do yeah. well in in this exactly. like they're gonna watch you because you have a name 
and you have a Red Bull helmet on, but like, yeah, no one, there's no expectation. So it probably felt good. And then you get 10th and you're like, that's not bad versus like 10th and downhill for you. You're like pissed because it's different. It's different expectations. How do you train? What does downhill training look like? Like, what is a typical, you've been off for four weeks. So let's not count these last four weeks of just gin and tonics prior to that. (laughs) How do you know? (laughs) I know all I've done. I'm deep into my research. Also, you're only 20. Are you allowed to drink? Man, I'm from Austria. We start drinking when we're like 14. <laughs> Dang. All right. Okay. I'm in the States. It's 21 around here. So you better yeah, not have... Yeah, no, It's pretty no. lame. It's pretty lame. Um, what, is well, the, like, yeah. what does a normal day look like, let's say, the Monday before a World Cup event? Yeah. So before a World Cup event, racing uh, training is less intense. So we had probably Monday I would do... Uh, morning gym session like i spend a lot of time in the gym just like basic movements depending on where we are in the season like we do a lot of like before we do like more like strength endurance like many repetitions like squats deadlifts uh bench press like all the the normal stuff just to build that like basic strength and then the closer it comes to the race season we do like more chums like more explosive stuff like also more sprinting and uh yeah i really like going to the gym and it's nice to be off the bike because if i look for example at road bike races like all they do is sitting on the same bike for like hours and then when it comes to the race they sit in the same bike for hours where like in downhill racing you can do so many different things to prepare for 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 racing so we do a lot of gym stuff uh, i do a lot of like endurance training probably more than like the older races are doing just because i'm younger and i don't have the training history like they do so i need to work way more on my endurance side so when i'm home in the winter for example i do quite a lot of ski touring with my mom just to get those those hours in and when i'm in france we go road biking we go pedaling with the enduro bike and then when it comes closer to to races we do like lots of intervals um yeah depending like how close we get to the race shorter ones like more explosive ones so what we do with the boys is pretty fun because we all have those like uh how do you say like uh what uh um what's the name for it you know the power things where oh you can look like uh, it'll tell you how much power you're putting out yeah, I don't, like exactly. a wahoo fitness it, it's, it's so funny because like we we always like match with the boys pretty well and with my coach we we're like a group of five races and it's so funny so um yeah with like short sprints it's funny to see that we're actually pretty close but when it comes to like 30 seconds intervals oh man it's so hard and like the boys just pull off but it's, it's good to be in a training group so they can push and uh we can try to hang on somehow, even if we, you know, are far behind. It's it's all right. And yeah, like sorry to come back to your question, oh, like before race. Um, probably it's pretty easy. Like Monday, I would do a gym, like low intensity, not many reps, and just explosive stuff. And then on Tuesday, I would do my intervals. And this season, I always did the same intervals. So I always did Monday gym, Tuesday intervals, 
like only 15 seconds on 15 seconds off and that like eight times in two sets just to move your legs and 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 get ready and get warm so i felt like every time i did those 15 15 my body knew oh it's race week you know i was like fired up and and ready to go and then uh, yeah the week the race week already started wednesday with like trek walk you walk the track you do a recovery right after you get a massage without physio you go to the river you go to the jacuzzi whatever is there and then first training session and then it's all about like you know not trying to crash too early so you're not sore early the week on <laughs> yeah. how how much time do you spend physically walking the course like a course is how long um, let's say three to four minutes right that yeah depends. yeah three to three to five minutes i think the longest track we had this year was like five minutes five five minutes and 20 seconds so some of the track walks it takes us two hours to walk down i mean you stop you look at the lines but it's actually quite long and it's way nicer to ride and i feel like track walk is the hardest part for every racer because everybody hates walking <laughs> and do you i'm trying to think of that like you're you have to have a photo like you know what's coming up so do you have a photographic memory do you have like a code that you put in your brain? Like, okay, even if it's like, okay, that tree, you know that tree, there's a left hand to a right hand. Like, how do you visualize the Remember. course? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you walk the track once a day before you actually ride it. And what we do, like, we take pictures of the track. So I would not say I would take pictures of the whole track, just like the key points are like, jumps and like stuff which is like dangerous where you have to watch out like blind jumps blind stuff where you can like fall into something and uh, then for first practice day we basically know what's going to happen like why you have to watch out after the first lap but i feel like after the second lap i already know inside out where i have to go and i can remember every single little stone and root and tree and uh, we also ride with the GoPro, but the GoPro is more for like trying different different lines and then timing it. So you, you know, compare them and you're like, oh, actually this one is like 0.5 quicker if I go from the outside to the inside than like going over the route and stuff. And it's quite funny because I get I did ski racing at the same time when I was junior. And for me, I could not remember a ski race slope. I have no idea why. But it was just like red, blue, red, blue. Obviously, you know when it goes down or there's like a compression. But it was, I could, like some of my ski racer friends, they could, you know, they were doing this at the start. And I was like, well, obviously it's left and right, left and right. <laughs> but I would not have remembered if I need to go like, you know, enter the corner earlier than, than the other one before. But with downhill racing, I still remember every single racetrack we raced this year. And it's, it's so weird. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's amazing your brain can store what you want it to store. Like some old yeah. song that you never cared about, you haven't heard in 10 years, it'll come on and you'll know every word. And you're like, how? How yeah. do I remember that? But I don't remember what I did yesterday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your secret to curing arm pump. Your oh, pro I wish secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously it really depends. Uh what kind of fork you're riding, uh, what kind of handlebar, like 
I'm not able to ride a carbon handlebar because it's way too stiff for me. And then grips, grips is also a big one. So, um, well, to be honest, like we got a new fork to try this season and it changed a lot during the season. And I struggled way more riding the prototype at the beginning of the season, just because it wasn't ready yet. And I struggled a lot with arm pump, to be honest, but I think it's just normal because, you know, the product is not where it is like we raced the last race with. So it was also really nice to not have arm pump at the last few races. So that really helped. I know a lot of riders ride without gloves just to have no head, to have no arm pump. That's what they say. But uh, with my crashing history, I don't want to hit the dirt without gloves because then you're fucked for like three weeks if you have like open hands and stuff. So, yeah, I guess everybody needs to figure out what they like and what they don't like. What bars do you use? Aluminum? Titanium? Yeah. Aluminum. Aluminum. Yeah. That's interesting. I wouldn't think about that at all. Like, I mean, I don't, I'm not a pro athlete by any means, but I wouldn't <laughs> think that it makes that much of a difference. But aluminum's just soft enough that it dampens it a little bit. Yeah. And carbon is a bit too sketchy for the age. Like, That's true. You know, it can break easier and you don't see a crack. It just breaks. Just <laughs> and you don't want that. No. Would it be easier to ride a non-prototype fork? Because that's a gamble at the beginning of the year, right? Like, obviously, it's sponsors, and, like, that's yeah. part of it, and they want you on the newest of the new. But is that sometimes, like, performance unenhancing? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, we, we we were racing the whole last year with, with the stock fork, and it was amazing you train the whole winter and then you get the opportunity to actually ride a black box product which not many athletes are allowed to touch and ride and to have on your bike so it was always the kind of question is it more important to show the people that there's something new coming so it's like is marketing more important than like a race result but i wouldn't say that i did bad because i had that fork on it was just me crashing and that's why i didn't do well so you know, it would have been way sicker if I would have won the first race already with the new fork rather than like winning at the end of the season with a better fork. But uh, it is what it is. Like you learn and maybe for some athletes, like when you're more mature, you you can tell them, well, I actually don't really want to do this because I haven't prepared on it properly and I only want to race it when I had time to test it and figure it out. But uh, Man, I'm I'm so stoked to get that opportunity to actually write that kind of product and and learn it and kind of influence it how the fork is now because it's my kind it's my feedback which is in the fork now which is a bit scary because <laughs> I won't trust myself to to give feedback but it works now and people like it so yeah you're welcome. <laughs> that was gonna be my question: is how involved are you with the R and D of these products? Yeah, um, yeah. There were only five races which got that brand, that like prototype fork, the black box fork, and yeah, I was one of those five people giving feedback and trying to make it better. And we changed quite a lot, and it felt way better at the end of the season. So um, it's an it's it's pretty cool. Like 
it was the first time I was involved in in that kind of process, and it was sick to see like how suspension like this looks the first time we rode it, which was like to be honest terrible because how can it be good? It was the first time it was like attached to a bike, and then to see it winning world champs and you actually see the same product and it changed so much it's insane and for me it's also crazy that it takes so long to bring it on the market like it takes so many years to develop it to make it to get the resources nowadays to get all the materials and then you know it's not even out yet so so when will people, this people can only be excited to to buy it that's <laughs> when will this fork come out honestly i have no idea Okay. That's an acceptable <laughs> answer. Okay. No idea. Um, yeah. It's so, are, do you feel comfortable telling like, okay. So I imagine they make the fork and they're super excited and they're like, well, put on your bike. This is the newest new. It's got every bell and whistle. And then you ride it and you're like, this is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> like how? Well, I'm, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say here, but the, well, obviously, it was way different, and I had to adapt to it. And it's definitely easier to write something you raced the last one and a half years on it because you know how it, how it's going to react. And especially as a young racer, it takes a few years to feel different products and to feel different settings. And I think that's also something that changed from last year to this year, that I'm way more uh sensitive like i can feel stuff way more than last year i can i can feel what i like it's so hard to communicate it to your mechanic so he can change it because you only tell him oh i feel like it's diving or it's kicking me and then he actually needs the brain to think about oh is it the low speed is it the high speed is it the compression you know is it the rebound it's uh it's probably the hardest work for the mechanic to figure out and to make it better. So it's all on him. Yeah. And you got, I mean, you guys speak, your mechanic speaks your language. So he knows that if you are no, saying, so, Oh, go well, ahead. Not really. So my mechanic is French and I'm Austrian. So I speak German, but we communicate in English, which makes it a little bit more difficult because, you know, sometimes you have feelings, but you can't really express it in, in English and he also doesn't really know how to say it in in English because they say it in French different. So it took it took a while to figure out what's what's happening, but uh it's been the fifth season that we're working together. So for that we did quite decent. <laughs> yeah, I'm I meant it more like in a less literal sense of like he knows if you're saying it's pushing then he should do this or i mean yeah. i don't know but that's like you like you said you've worked with your mechanic for 5 years so highs and lows ups and downs goods and bads he knows when your yeah. bike has worked and performed the best for you and those settings then and mechanics all have like they're like i think people hear the word mechanic and they think like a dirty crusty but like, and they are, and we love mechanics, but they are like <laughs> so intricate and precise and like they turn one little oh, thing and it changes insane, yeah. your world. It's like, it's insane. It's so, like, which was really, really helpful for me is that my mechanic, Matt, he used to do World Cup races as well. So he used to be a racer and he knows exactly what's going on. 
And uh, when I was junior, he had the exact same bike as I did. So he was riding also in his time off. And when we were training, he did some laps with me and he watched me riding. And uh, when we changed to track, he didn't get the chance to get his to get the same bike. And I struggled at the beginning of the season with my bike setup just because it was so different from the bike I had before. And it was so hard to tell him. Also, I was way younger. It was harder for me to give feedback. And after Fort William, when I when I crashed again and I struggled a lot with like arm pump and stuff, I told him, I give you my bike and you, you're going to go to the bike park and you're going to ride my bike because I don't know how to tell you what I'm feeling. So he spent the whole day riding with my race bike. He came back and he was like, now I understand what you were talking about all the time. And we changed it. And then my bike was like 10 times better. And it's so cool to have that, that like, I have that guy in my corner who can actually ride my bike, feel it, and then be like, oh, now I get it what you always, what you try to tell me. So I guess not many people have that. And, you know, it's a big part of my success. success so thankful for that. Yeah, I think you either say it in a video or I read it. Matt's like the same size as you. Like he's a little. Dude. Yeah, he's like, he's, he's a, you know, small French guy. <laughs> He's a small friend. I don't mean that in any way, but it's like, I just think for everyone listening who doesn't know that, like, that's why it makes sense. Like, you're yeah. not handing so me your we, bike. Yeah, we ride the same frame size, which is sick. And actually, the way I ride my brakes, like, it's, you know, it's like, I don't know how you would compare it to skiing, but like, how far your brakes are up or down, it's exactly the same like Matt would ride it. So like, yeah, I think actually it's... he can just like jump on my bike, maybe put a harder spring in it and then he can ride my bike. So that's, that's pretty cool. Lucky. Yeah. And he just, you guys have worked together for a long time. So it, yeah. it, he knows what your needs, whether it's the exact angle of your levers or <laughs> like, it sounds so funny that that stuff matters, but it does. And I think it matters at every level. If I change the way my, my brake my brakes are my angle of yeah. it messes with my head and I suck, oh, but I'm like pedaling yeah. and I'm like this, my wrists hurt cause they're not where yeah. they need to be. But having yeah. someone in your corner who just knows that and knows exactly like that's, I mean, that's obviously a key to your success. Oh, super thankful. <laughs> what is there? Is there a certain food that you eat? during event weeks or are you just like diets out the window i'm 20 years old i don't care i can do whatever <laughs> i want no i'm a girl so it's not as easy as for the boys man my teammates they eat so much crap the whole <laughs> summer and they look like gods like their bodies are just perfect and i'm like sitting there with my carrots and i'm like guys you're so stupid <laughs> like it's insane maybe it's gonna catch up when they're like 50 but for now they can do whatever they want you know they drink chocolate milk during the week where i'm like dude i would throw up drinking chocolate milk like in the summer terrible i know it's sick and delicious but man not when you're racing not when you're working so it's okay but now we have a really good uh, chef in our team so he's cooking for us all the time and it's pretty i guess every week we kind of eat the same like we eat fajitas and like we do barbecue like salmon and rice and veg so pretty easy food so you belly because you're already quite nervous during races you don't want anything to distract your belly even more it's already quite hard to to keep the food inside of you so um 
yeah, just healthy, easy food, I would say. If you weren't biking, what you what would you be doing at 20 years old? Hmm. So I just started university this week. So I would say going to university, probably not doing it online, just being in Innsbruck probably and, and go to university directly. Um, I think if I would not be riding bikes, I wish I would be a freeride ski pro. Yeah. Is there still hopes of that? You can't be a bad skier. No, I think I think I'm quite okay, but I mean, I'm just always too cold all the time. Like I'm always freezing. It's it's like when I was doing the ski races, this was my biggest problem because I was always complaining of being cold. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. It is a cold it is a very cold sport. Yeah. Uh, what are you studying? Um, I study business administration and sports. So it's like marketing and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of hard to find something to study, which you can do online and like besides racing. So that was the only offer really. And I'm like, well, just going to help me, I guess. So it keeps me, it keeps me busy. And I feel like now I had two years off school and I need something to distract myself from, from bikes. So. I hope it's not going to be too busy and too distracting or like too stressful doing both things. But I'm just going to try it. And if it's not going to work out and, you know, distracting me or keeps me off the bike too much, I'm just going to drop out. But <laughs> we will see. Maybe it's good. <laughs> well, it's interesting for you to be going to school because that's like second to biking right now. When most people who would go to school, biking would be their distraction. Yeah. So it is an interesting play, but there's no rush. And you like, you just, Sounds like you're just doing it for you just to like education is good. I think we can all agree on that. And like, no, definitely. Yeah. It's no, I feel like it, it's pretty sick to live this kind of life. But if you always wake up and everything you do, you think about, is this going to help me to be a better bike racer? I think it's not healthy. And I just want something to be satisfied with because as I, as I realized this year, if you, you know, if you do bad in races for like three months in a row, you want something else to make you feel happy and, and to get, you know, not the proof of doing good, but just something which helps you to be like, oh, I guess. I'm not a total idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone thinks you're an idiot. And I think you being, even your bad on a bike is better than let's say 99% of the world. So take that with a grain of salt, I guess, <laughs> but it is, it is interesting. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, that's what you do. That's what you've done. You've done bikes forever. So your distraction is like, what would be someone's normal, like going to university? That's, yeah. it's a little flip of the script for everyone listening. I think, um, any music or band that stands out that like, do you listen to music when you ride bikes? Do you like, is there a band that is like, this is my stuff. This is what I have to listen to before every race. Yeah. Right now I'm super into Blondie again. Like, Whoa. Uh, it's pretty sick. Like, uh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but we're actually planning to do a video project and uh, we are allowed to choose our song. And I'm really trying to get a Blondie track. 
I that would be so sick. But I think it's quite hard to get the license from that kind of band. But I yeah. think you just music is. Go huh? ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, music is just so important in my life. Like I listen, I wake up, I turn on the music, and you just get into a good mood. You you put it in your earphones when you're riding, when you're pedaling, when you go to the gym. Before the race, you warm up. You have your 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 playlist, your favorite songs, and you have some songs you, you get typed on, and you know songs you you calm yourself down because you feel like you're getting too nervous and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm listening a lot to music. I like that Blondie's the answer. I think you just find Blondie's Instagram and just message them. I'm sure they you would think? be. I don't know. You've got clout. Just use it. Bully him a little bit. Because if you go to like MGM Grand, who probably owns it, they're going to be like, absolutely not. But if you like, I don't know. the Hey, guys. Big fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. Like, hey, I'm going to film a part maybe. We can't talk about it. But like, I don't know. I think they would be yeah. pumped on it. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Just DM them. Shoot your shot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's where we're going. We'll shoot your shot. I want to talk about filming a little bit, and I won't keep you too much longer. I've had you for like an hour here, so thank you. Um, oh, easy. <laughs> is filming? Do you see more filming in your future? Like you don't have to like leak any projects or anything you're working on, but is yeah. that something that excites you, or would you rather just compete and like be in the zone and go do what you do? No, definitely. Like, I love doing video shoots, and I hope I could have done more the last couple of years already. But with school, it was kind of hard to, you know, to make some time and to travel somewhere and do something. But now, like, I'm so keen to do sick video projects because racing is great and amazing, but you don't really show your riding. Like, obviously, everyone has their riding style, but you're trying to ride as efficient as you can where like if you do video parts you just show yourself you like you know you're shrubbing corners you're getting steady on the bike you're drifting you're doing whips and scraps and everything and it's so cool and yeah i already have three video shoots planned just october to november which is insane i'm already so stoked and it's gonna be hard because Filming is actually quite hard work. Like you have to push up your bike the whole day. You have to do the same corner like five times or even more. So um, no, but I love it. And it's so creative. And I love when there's a sick filmer who has a sick idea. Like it's so arty and with music, you can play so much. And yeah, also about this race season, we, we're gonna, we're gonna do a few episodes. They're gonna drop in December and it's kind of weird that i'm already doing those kind of episodes because it feels like a documentary because they just film me what i do off the bike like how I prepare for the season and it's so weird to to see this of myself because i still watch it from other racers i admire like for example miriam nicole she's 32 i'm racing against her she's kicking my ass sometimes i can kick her ass but I'm still such a big fan. So I'm like watching what she's doing, not because I want to see what my what my enemies are doing, <laughs> let's say like this, just because I'm such a big fan. I'm like, oh my God, it's so cool. Like she's riding trail bikes or like whatever in the off time. And it's, I wonder if this is ever going to change that 
probably when they retire and then I'm their age, I don't really have someone to look up to anymore. And then maybe other races, they're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm racing against Vali and she's my idol because she's old. <laughs> Who knows? I think you're... I think your heroes will always be your heroes, even if they're not racing. Like it's, it's even like more neat, I think, to see what they do after their racing career and like how yeah. they, cause that like lays, you know, the stepping stones for what you do. Cause there will hit a point where you're like, I can't compete at this level. And maybe you get in a commentary or maybe you just get strictly into filming or maybe yeah. like, so it's really cool to see you know, that you have someone to look up to so that you can, they're paving a way that makes it almost easier for you. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's neat. It's cool to see. And it's cool for you to admit at like 20, you're looking up to people and you're like, holy cow, like those are my enemies and I love what they do and I'm competing yeah. against them. And like, so you have a, it's basically a vlog, like you had a vlog that you filmed, but now you have like a more documentary style vlog coming out in December. Especially, yeah, exactly. Awesome. That's yeah, cool. I feel like vlogs is, it's quite a lot of hard work and I kept filming it, but then my races were like really sad every time. And I was like, man, it's so bad to always tell a bad story. And it's insane because you can see like, if you do, if you, if the vlogs end kind of sad, people drop out and don't watch them anymore. And it's kind of sad because you're actually telling the truth. But if you're always like happy and like faking to be happy all the time, but you actually, you suck and you're sad and stuff, <laughs> people would watch that and like it rather than like telling the true story. Where like, if it's more professional and kind of documentary style, people accept it more than like having a sad vlog, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think people watch it to escape. So... Yeah. maybe some people are already sad so they don't want to watch you be sad which sucks because yeah. you're human but i like yeah. the one you like it's after you win world championships i think or maybe you're like i am so hungover like and now i have to go to practice like i was like this is relatable content like you were yeah. just like i was out way too late i drank way too much champagne like <laughs> i'm gonna go to practice but like i'm a mess and it was great like it was it's hilarious content. And then you did, what is it? The sounds of silence or the sounds of, but like Speed. you, yeah. you land and there's like this like perfect giggle that comes out like that. Like if you could bottle that, that feeling, like I felt it when I heard you do it. Like I knew that yeah. feeling that you were feeling like if you could just bottle that and capture it and sell it, we'd all be billionaires. But I think that stuff is like more telling than anything about like who you are, what riding bikes means to you. Like that little giggle, that three second clip, you like land yeah. on like an, and it's like that, if you could buy, like, I don't know. It's, I love video mm -hmm. projects because I think they tell so much, even when they might not even tell a story. Like that video doesn't necessarily tell a story. It's just sounds. But yeah. to me, it goes back to the art of, filming and what you guys were trying to portray and obviously yeah. that noise was left in intentional so i don't know i really enjoyed it my last question to you this is a this is a the hardest question anyone will ever ask you oh man it's it's really not as hard as it should be but how do you teach me in a sentence how to shroud 
it actually took me so long and I'm I'm one of those people I can only do it on certain tracks like I can't do it everywhere oh, this makes me feel like, so much better I pinky promised just, Vea last week that no, I would learn how you know to do we're it gonna do? we're gonna go to Austria there's like a special bike park it's called the Wechsel Trails and on this trail I learned how to shrub because on only on this trail I can shrub every corner if I go to my home hometown Sabah I can't shrub but if I go there, I can shrub every single corner. So I it's hopeless for me. I don't know, why. I don't know how. You just need to travel to Austria. I'm sorry. Oh, that's it. I think I might be coming <laughs> there in January. Spoiler alert. But that's a whole other well, conversation. It might be a bit cold. <laughs> well, well we we're going. Maybe we're going to ski. Snow. Is why we're going. But so it's hopeless for me. There's no way I'm ever learning it. I'm breaking my first pinky promise I've ever broken in my entire life. Well, you can cheat a little bit, just like. Put a little bit less pressure in your tires, and then you're gonna shrug. But don't tell anyone I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> I just roll in with a flat tire and like tackle yeah, my yeah. rim. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> a nice tight GoPro shot of just, I think I'm just gonna edit it. Like, I'm gonna find someone who has the same bike as me. Yeah. And then I'll just put their shoes on, and then I'll just cut to it real quick. Well, or just cut the corner, don't shrug, and then you like make a noise like. <gasps> Like you would drop it, you know. Voice layover. I know? I'll try. I promise. I pinky promised uh, Vea Verbeek last two week, three weeks ago that I would learn by the time her episode comes out, which is like next week, I think. And I have like I have film, but I have zero progress. Like it's just getting worse because <laughs> now I've like I've done it enough times that like I've almost failed miserably that I'm scared now, yeah. and I'm like. Ugh! But all right, so no, it's hopeless like, for me. You need Great. The perfect corner. You need a super steep corner where you can't like crash or you can't slide after because the corner is not high enough. So yeah, it's just drop your heels, me. steep corner, cut the corner, done, easy. <laughs> I don't think you just said it was hard. You just said you can't even do it everywhere. How am I supposed well, to do it? I can. I can tell people stuff how to do it. It doesn't mean I can do it. You know. <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Um, sponsors to thank, people to thank. Where can people follow you? Where can they see you next? Uh, projects coming up that you're allowed to talk about. This is your this is your elevator pitch. Man, just like thanks to my whole team for keeping up with my emotions this season. I know it wasn't easy. I was really sad and pissed at the beginning of the season, but I think we had a really good end. Um, it's going to be exciting for next year racing. Uh, people can follow me on Instagram. It's like where I'm the most active on. Valley Hill, that's my name. And uh, projects. Uh, I don't know if people know about Fast Life. It's going to come. It's going to be epic with Rebel in 2022 December. So it's sick. Can't wait to see that one. And the rest is secret and you will see when it drops <laughs> <laughs> well good i can't wait um thank you for your time thank you for scheduling this very quickly and getting it done um yeah thank you oh you're welcome thanks for the invite <laughs>